Well, this morning I'd like to focus on the first reading, then especially on the, the second reading. The first reading from Ecclesiastes is, uh, is a very vivid and powerful um, depiction or portrayal of the ephemeral nature of the world, the, the non-permanent nature of the world, that it's, it comes and it goes. It's very passing. It's not permanent. It's finite. And uh, it might sound, you know, at first it has a kind of has a very somber tone, creates in our hearts a kind of a somber, almost mournful and sad mood. Uh, but it's it's a very um, uh, encouraging scripture, in fact, because what it does for us is it puts um, the world and our lives in their proper perspective. And it allows us to see things from an eternal perspective. And actually that then leads to uh, really a joy. So uh, it might sound sad at first, but it really, if you, if you understand its purpose and the ultimate direction in which it's headed, it leads to joy. You see, when we can perceive the finite nature of the world, what we're doing is we're looking at it from a bird's eye point of view. We're getting over it. When we're immersed in it, and we think that this is all there is, and we feel at least that that's all there is, is the world that we live in, this, you know, the earth and our temporal affairs as they currently exist, we're seeing things from a worm's eye point of view. And, uh, we're really not seeing things, uh, in the most objective and truthful manner. But when we can see the finitude, the finiteness, the limited nature of the world that we live in and our current affairs that we exist in, what we're doing is we're taking that bird's eye point of view and we can see things objectively and we're seeing things from God's perspective. This is also, we see this in our responsorial psalm. The psalmist says to God, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain wisdom of heart. Teach us to number our days. So to know that our days have a limit, that we're not going to live forever. And uh, again, it's the same effect that takes place when we consider our own lives and we consider that we're mortal and that we're going to die, each one of us. It's, uh, death is as certain as taxes, as they say. So uh, we know that for sure. Just as soon as we're born, certainly we will die. There's, there's no question about that and no one is exempt from that law. And when we can think about that and meditate upon that truth, what we're doing is we're taking a bird's eye point of view on our lives and we're seeing them in an objective, truthful manner. We're really seeing them from the perspective of eternity, from the perspective of God's own point of view. And to see things as God sees them is a beautiful uh, and joy-filled reality and experience. We have in our Catholic tradition something called the four, what we call the four last things. And this tradition of meditating upon the four last things is something deeply embedded in our, in our tradition. The four last things are death, judgment, hell, and heaven. And I'll probably lead meditations upon those four topics quite free, uh, you know, quite a bit in, uh, around Lent. But you'll hear me speak about the four last things. I'm going to preach on the four last things. Uh, that'll be homiletic material for me on Sundays and, and on daily masses as well. But especially around Lenten time, these are the, it's the traditional time to think about the four last things. So, with the first 
last thing is our own death, to meditate upon our own death. And uh, when we do that, what we're doing, we're taking God's perspective on things. We're seeing things from an objective point of view. And uh, we start to say to ourselves, look, you know, why am I mad at that person? <laughs> That's pretty stupid. You know, why am I at odds with this person? Why am I not forgiving this person? Or why am I overly focused or anxious about this college degree or this job position or whatever it might be or this trouble or trial that I'm having in my life. You see things and that they're really kind of small, that they're really, you know, from God's perspective, these things are not mountains because, you know, when we're like worms and we're crawling on the ground, the littlest thing seems humongous. But when we take God's perspective, things things are seen in their true light and that they're very small. Um, and it gives us a map Okay, as it were, uh, with which we can more accurately navigate our moral lives through through our moral lives. I'm reminded of uh, Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. Okay, it's a very beautiful, beautiful piece of literature. In fact, I think this Christmas I might even, you know, for the Wednesday night talks, I might actually do a performance reading of Dickens' Christmas Carol. It's short enough that I could probably do it in three three sessions, read the whole thing straight through out loud. Uh, it's a beautiful piece of literature, and I think we know the story. We've seen movie renditions or, Chris, or cartoon renditions of it, at least. And uh, you have Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's, uh, you know, he's, in, in denying Christmas, he's really kind of setting himself against the spirit of Christianity is what he's doing. And uh, by God's mercy, as providence would have it, a merciful providence sends him the three, the three ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future. <laughs> And uh, so he's able to see his whole life from that bird's eye perspective. And it puts everything in its proper context. So he sees the failed relationship with this woman that he dated when he was young. And the relationship, you know, never worked out because of his prioritizing his work over his, um, over his uh, relationship with this woman. And he sees uh, in the, the, the ghost of Christmas present, he sees all the Christmas parties that he was invited to that he didn't go to. <laughs> and uh, everybody's having a good time. And they're speaking about Scrooge like, you know, some people are saying he's a fool. And others are, are actually taking pity upon him because they see that he doesn't have his priorities in life right. And so you can see that. But then the one that really hits him, though, is the ghost of Christmas future. And he sees this, what's taken place, it's transpired the death of this individual. And he doesn't know who it is. And he sees all of these business people taking this man, this dead man's estate and dividing it up. Okay, and he sees these beggars, these vagabonds come and like take the dead man's clothes and like say, hey, do you want that? What's that? Is that good for you? Oh, yeah, let me take that. And they're trading for the things that were in his pockets. And they're selling his, you know, furniture. <laughs> and uh, and then he sees, you know, this opportunity that he had, uh, that this rich man had to help out this, this child, Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim is dead. Um, and could have been helped, could have received medical attention, you know, through the generosity of, of this dead man. And then he finds out the dead man is him. And he goes to the grave, and no one is there at his funeral, and he sees himself in his own grave. And, it, you know, he, it really shocks him, and it says, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? 
And uh, he comes out of it and he's a changed man and he reprioritizes things. So meditating upon the four last things, meditating upon our own death, our own limited lifespan is a very uh, healthy thing to do and it's, it's a very great help uh, for us in, in the moral life.